Lights out and away we go. I'm Omar Fasibishir. Welcome to On The Mic. Welcome to the Lights Out Show. Welcome to Pakistan's Motorsports number one show, I guess, if, that, if there are many. I'm joined here on the front row with Hamza Hashim. How are you, Hamza? I'm well, thank you, Omar. How are you doing nowadays? Uh, much better than the past couple of days, but, you know, still on the mend. Okay, you've been a bit ill for the past two Yeah, days. I've been under, un, under the wet weather for a little bit, yeah. Let's all pray for Hamza, okay? You'll get better soon, don't worry. He's probably me feeling much better because uh, you are a Lewis fan, so it's been a good couple of weeks. <laughs> it's been a good run, yeah. Uh, not as great as we'd hoped for the last time I was here, but still, you know. Much better than the start of the season. We're getting there, definitely. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there, definitely. Before I go on, please make sure to subscribe. Hit that notification bell. It really helps us out. Around like 82% of you don't subscribe to our stuff, even though you watch it. It's very... I mean, Hamza's like, what? what's wrong with you guys? Come on, please help us out a little. But we're here to talk about, I think, probably a very classic F1 race. I yeah. think it had strategy. It had overtakes. It had a top six that was able to fight each other. Okay, Paris might be not. But like... Give or take, it was a great battle. We're going to talk about that. We'll do a half-season review as well at the end. We'll also talk about Vettel and Alonso. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not 2012. I'm just talking about the fact that one's leaving and one's never going to leave, apparently. And we're also going to do some ratings for each driver at the end of this podcast as well. Everything's in the timestamps if you want to jump to a certain conclusion. But let's start off with something. George Russell. George Russell. Mr. Saturday. Pole. Yeah. Mr. Saturday. He did it again. Out of nowhere. I did not expect that. In the slightest. I don't think throughout qualifying, I don't think he had a single purple sector on any of his latter runs. You right? know who had a purple sector in sector one? <laughs> Go Tifi. <laughs> Q1 though. First run Q1. No, no. But throughout the entire qualifying, that's still the fastest, fastest sector one. Sector? That's oh, wow. insane. He still started last. That's he? insane. You get sector one purple in a Williams and you still qualify last place. That is something only a Go Tifi can do. <laughs> I have to say that. But you were saying about Russell, the fact that I mean, yeah, he just, he put it together on that last run. And it demonstrated that I think despite, you know, you know Mercedes' troubles on Saturday, uh, they're kind of closing the gap to the front of the field, which is uh, both unsurprising and at the same time, you know, a little bit of a surprise given that they were almost nine-tenths off last week in France. And then about the same through all of the practice sessions. So for Russell to put it uh, on pole was, I think, a fantastic result for Mercedes. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Russell was yearning for this as well. I mean, first victory still looming yeah. in history. He's definitely going to get He's got a long career ahead of him. He's still, oh, for very, sure. he's still very young and he's in a good team already. And I, and I think like a lot of people have been comparing Russell to Hamilton, which I think by virtue of his, the nature of that comparison is an unfair comparison. But I think that aside, Russell is very, very, very good. Why do you think it's unfair though? I think like the consistency that Hamilton is able to pull out of the bag uh, whenever he wants, I think, is something that Russell is going to have a little bit of trouble just, you know, adjusting to. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I think he got off to a great start because he was able to overshadow Hamilton for the first couple of races, which kind of set everyone everyone's expectations especially people who are new to f1 they're like oh this is the you know the twilight of lewis's career and, this and is hate hamilton yeah basically <laughs> uh but i think what russell's proven is that even against the very best uh he measures up it's early days you were saying talk on consistency but i think russell's been very consistent this oh, season absolutely top five every single race that he's finished the only yeah. race he didn't finish was Great Britain, yeah, yeah, Silverstone. Yeah. He retired there in the first corner. <laughs> That's unfortunately, but but despite that, again, P three, P three last time, P four last time, retired yeah. last time. So he's very consistent right now. I do think it's a bit early days. Don't 
you know, start praising him too much because you did praise a certain other driver who's now not living up to expectations, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we saw that in France. Um, so like, I don't, I'm not going to say Russell. Yeah. He's the next big thing because you just never know. Danny Rick was one guy. That I can I can give you lots of examples. Yeah, of of, of people that don't necessarily deliver on their early career promise. But yeah. I think given the shoes that he had to fill in the Mercedes seat that he's taken this season, I think he's done exceptionally well. Yeah. Uh, relative to any set of expectations that you know, even if any that observer might have had for him. bought us. Yeah. <laughs> even then, I think he's excelled us already. But it is interesting to see that Lewis is now closing the gap between them as well. Yeah, and, and has been consistently outperforming him the last couple of races, which I think is down. And we spoke about this the last time I was here, right? That Lewis has been consistently, you know, experimenting with the W13. Also helping. unlucky with safety cars, as yeah. we know. Like, I think four times I can count that he's been unlucky with safety cars. Yeah, and I mean, even this weekend, he was unlucky with his DRS not working for his uh, yes. final run in Q3. But I think the fact that he was helping the team experiment, trying to find different setups that might work on the W13, given that it was a concept they didn't, you know, they kept saying that it was a concept they don't fully understand. I think they're getting closer to knowing what that car needs to put it in the right window. And I think they've done a better job of, of how the car handles in a race relative to Ferrari, at least. I think partly uh, why we saw the results that we did this weekend was because the Mercedes is a lot kinder on its tires relative to the Ferrari, even though the Ferrari has better outright pace, which we saw, I think, at the start of this race. Absolutely. I also like to say the fact that he's so close in the rankings as well, both of them. Yeah, 156 absolutely. for uh, Carlos Sainz, 158 for George Russell, 146 for Lewis Hamilton, sandwiched in between the Mercedes. Basically, yeah. And I think that's a sign that worries me for Ferrari fans. I like to say if you're a Ferrari fan, it's okay to seek help. Because <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a Ferrari fan in 2020. I let go of them, I believe. Uh, uh, it was a lot sooner for me, I think. 2007-6? <laughs> 2007's when they won. What do you mean you left? <laughs> I think, I mean, 7 was when Lewis showed up and I was like, oh, well, wow. Oh, this, wow. This, okay, this, wow. This you're a young, young fan yeah, yeah, of Lewis. This, I became a Lewis fan much later. Yeah, the new guy, I think, was was absolutely amazing when he showed up his, his rookie season. Mm -hmm. But Ferrari, I think, also have demonstrated this season very similar to, you know, 17 and 18. How even when they have a winning combination on their hands, they can just throw they it can away. completely fumble it. Yeah, completely throw it away, whether it be driver error, whether it be strategy error, whether it be a pit stop error. Mechanical failure. Mechanical failures as yeah. well. Like you had a spark plug in 2017 Japan. You had the 2018 driver error, which is so infamous. I'm not even going to say what yeah. it was. <laughs> but like, there's a lot of things you can talk about. And I really want to say like, people are a bit, a bit too nice about Leclerc making mistakes. I feel that way. Because when Carlos Sainz was making mistakes, come on, guys. You guys were ruthless and so was I. <laughs> but like, when Leclerc makes a mistake, it's like, it's okay, little boy. You can do better. I feel so bad for him. I'm like, dude, this guy's fighting for a championship right now. Yeah. And, and I, against I, a guy like Verstappen, you're not going to win. If you keep making those errors, yeah. I think... One reason why Leclerc gets off easy compared to Sainz with or the Vettel errors that he path. makes is because he does have more outright pace mm -hmm. and delivers with that pace more consistently. True. Right? Like Leclerc's ability to be absolutely phenomenal most Saturdays is something I think that's not given enough credit. Yeah, most and the fact that he's got so many poles already. Yeah, basically. He's been Verstappen in that consistently. Absolutely. I mean, there's also that stat that Verstappen always wins basically whenever he gets pole in that sense. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel, I don't know what Ferrari's doing because here's like a stat that I just did the math on as well. So what's the current standing for the championship? 258 points for Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc in 178 and only five points behind him, Sergio Perez. Whoops. Yeah. 
I think the championship is over. So if Leclerc wins every single race after the summer break, he finishes with 403 points. And this is to assume that Verstappen comes second in every single race. He finishes 420 points. So Verstappen, Can, even if he gets second in every race after this, still takes the championship. If he does a Nico Rosberg 2016, right? He still can, wins he everything. Can, he can win. If Leclerc gets all the fastest laps, which are nine, he still loses. And the thing That's is, a horrifying stat. Even if you're a fan of like Ferrari or Red Bull, whatever, whoever's fan you are, you want a good season. You want a good battle, right? And you want that battle to take to the end to Abu Dhabi. We're not going to get that, I think, because listen, what's a bad weekend for Red Bull? Specifically, uh, specifically Verstappen. Second. P3 Monaco was the worst. Yeah. P2 was uh, Austria. It's like suboptimal for them. They're like, oh, we messed up. Yeah. P7 was the worst one they had in Great Britain, but it's not like Leclerc did well that time. He got P4. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, it's. And I think that's the other thing. Wherever Verstappen's fumbled it, I, I don't think Leclerc's capitalized on any of those mistakes, right? And we saw, even in a season as tight as last year, we saw you know, Lewis failing to capitalize on uh, Verstappen's bad weekends, right? Baku was, Baku last year, right? Where mm -hmm. Verstappen retired with that uh, tire explosion, right? Lewis could easily have won that race and, and that way, you know, would have taken the championship. So failing to capitalize on your competitor's mistakes or misfortune for that reason, I think, uh, is something that a championship contender should be doing very consistently. It's what a championship team should be also doing because I look at Mercedes, right? Yeah. And they just look at them. They're probably looking at Ferrari like, I'm sorry for you. In the last five races, they've netted more points than Ferrari has. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Basically, like, this was Ferrari's championship to win. And now, I feel sorry for everyone Who's that, Ferrari you know, fan. wears a red jersey. It's I, Which is a lot of people, by the way. Yeah. It's still the most popular team in the sport. Um, but I don't get it, man. Uh, it's really worrying. And like, we haven't even talked about the race and what happened there. We haven't specifically talked about what the big blunder was. Yeah, it's, it's, it was just one pit stop, right? And and so I was when I was you know reviewing the race, one of the things I came across was Ferrari and Red Bull were the only two teams that hadn't you know put on the hard tire before the race. Mm -hmm. Actually, Mercedes and Ferrari were the only two teams. Red Bull's drivers had tried the hard tire out on Saturday in P2, I believe, and both of them had come back and said, you know, even in the scorching heat on Friday, both of them were disappointed with the pace on the hards. Mm -hmm. I think that should have been the canary in the coal mine for Ferrari that the hard was probably going to make for a bad race tire. And then not only on, I, like Sainz in, the, in his first stint, I think had such a clear advantage over Russell with the longevity of his mediums and they just squandered it. Like they pitted him the lap after Russell. So they could have overcut Russell with that medium for at least, you know, and kept him out for another half dozen laps at least. And they didn't do that. No, also the fact that Alpine, Alpine was there and the fact that they went on the hard tires. You saw the And Haas they just completely got, dropped out, basically. Haas got on the hard tires as well. You saw a Ferrari-powered engine, a Ferrari-powered car as well to go on the hard end. You saw that it just wasn't working out for them. It made no sense for that. I don't know what happened. Like, even the commentary was just like, is that hard tires they're putting on? Slicks? Like, seriously? Like, come on. Like, I, I don't know what they were thinking. That's a huge blunder. And the fact that when he was on the mediums, he was so fast. He was five seconds ahead of Russell within three laps. Yeah. Within three laps, he was ahead. To have a car with that outright pace and then not win the Grand Prix because of a strategic blunder that the team should have foreseen on Friday night. I think at this point, you're right in saying that the championship 
pretty much is over. I I'm not exp- I hope- like I'd be surprised if Ferrari can pull something out the bag and even that requires Red Bull to come across like multiple bad weekends or reliability and, issues. Yeah, and as as a team I don't think Red Bull does that anymore. No, absolutely not. They're on the Mercedes level right now. Yeah. Of operating. They're they're functioning like a well-oiled machine. Their strategy team is always on point. Their strategy team is great, by the way. Yeah. Doing great calls over a this race was part of it. The fact that Verstappen spun and, and lost like four or five seconds and still won the race by seven seconds over Hamilton. Just and he caught up Louis Leclerc within a lap or something. Like they just cut to the replay, and the next part was just him overtaking yeah, Leclerc. Yeah, Leclerc all over again. Yeah, it, it felt so weird. But even at the start, right? Uh, but again, I'm not super impressed by Leclerc sometimes this year, because at the start he didn't get signs. Yeah, signs was ahead of him for a long time. They had to swap the cars around Basically. that to happen. So they lost time there as well. So that's one thing as well. And obviously we we haven't talked about France as well, but like that makes massive blunder. That was a pretty big mistake. I would like to. You know, I heard that scream on the radio. <laughs> I think that scream's probably going to be most Ferrari fans come the end of the season. But I heard it and I thought to myself, that doesn't sound like someone. I don't know. I mean, for, I said this last time around. Also, Leclerc is an error-prone driver. Very error-prone. And to make that mistake on that corner was it was so uncharacteristic of someone who you expect to be challenging for the championship. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think he can. The thing is, when you're fighting against someone like Verstappen, like Hamilton, like Alonso, who bring it a hundred percent every single race, you don't. They're not going to make mistakes. And I think, like, had Verstappen not, you know, had the experience of fighting for last year's championship, I think Verstappen probably also would have been making such errors. But I think last year's experience has made him such a formidable opponent. Mm-hmm. I think Leclerc needs to seriously up his game. And even then, you know, statistically. It's a tough, it's a tough call. My, my counter argument would be like, Verstappen has 154 races under the bag. Leclerc has 94. Uh, so the thing is, in terms of experience, even though they're basically the same age, yeah, uh, Verstappen is kind of almost like, uh, not, uh, not a veteran, but very, very experienced in this. And Verstappen has had that storyline of him going from crash Stappen days to the Verstappen he is now. Yeah. Leclerc has not had that time yet. I think, I mean, even, I think Leclerc probably has had the time. I don't think he's had the same growth spurt in terms of his driving style and ability that Verstappen has had. Yeah. So. I'm I'm just saying that just because I'm trying to look for some positives because I don't want it to be. I don't think there are any. I I think, you know, the most generous interpretation uh, for anyone who wants Ferrari to win this is that Red Bull, you know, come Belgium after the introduction of the technical directive that changes uh, you know the floor bouncing per parameters if that seriously affects red bull space maybe ferrari has a chance but anything short of that but they're going to struggle the other thing is that um, what i want to make a point about is that the summer break so this time the summer break is in, in the fact that they can't work on the car this time yeah it's a- it's not like they're going to be working hard and like doing some training and stuff like the drivers can train like go to the gym but they can't be f- fixing the car's issues. Yeah. So whatever they have right now is going to be the same at Belgium or whatever updates they have planned already. Basically. So I think that's another marker, the fact that the way F1's changed rules as well is not going to work in Ferrari's favor, basically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But even then, like, I just don't know what to say. Like, Verstappen, unstoppable this year. It's the Verstappen steamroller, basically. 
It, it, and I don't like that because I don't want an easy victory for him. It, can I be honest? Even when you listen to his radios when he's winning the races nowadays, even in France, he's like, oh, nice. Ah, uh, yeah, great. Thanks, man. <laughs> even this, he's yeah, like, yeah, we, car. <laughs> we got lucky. Like, even like in the cool down rooms, he doesn't look so excited. It used to be like Verstappen should scream at every victory he's getting. Yeah. I feel like he's missing the competition because he's just like, man, you're just gifting this to me now. <laughs> and they are, I think without any shred of doubt this is basically what's happening my favorite part part of the race was actually in the cool down room where hamilton looks at the tv screen and goes they went on hard tire yeah <laughs> everyone was surprised by that decision uh, my second favorite part of the race was also during the race when matteo bonono leaves the paddock goes into the motorhome <laughs> i, I want to know what he went to do there and basically the commentators <laughs> were speculating on whether he's just checked out <laughs> yeah. and then they're like oh no he probably just went to the bathroom yeah. for a couple minutes or maybe he went to find the race strategist and threw like a soft tire at him like use this man <laughs> what are you doing I don't know, man. I just, I don't understand. He's like, uh, it just, lo- it looks, it's a laughing stock at this point. Yeah. Ferrari is just, because <sighs> I was saying like, I, I used to be a Ferrari fan. To make such a technically, not just technically, but aesthetically, the Ferrari car, I think is the best looking car on the grid. Oh yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> I think on, you know, on a high downforce circuit, like the Hungaro Ring, it does extremely well in terms of pace. Yeah. The fact that they didn't get pole. They let, I mean, I'm happy for Russell, but what are they doing? But Russell should not be able to snatch it away from them. From yeah, and Sainz finished P2 in the qualifying. P3 was Leclerc. So again, that's why I'm saying Leclerc is not performing at championship level yet. I want him to. I want there to be a fight, but he just isn't. I, I can't. He's just not there. And the thing is, the next races are like Spa, um, which is a very you know, there's like very long straights there. Red yeah, Bull has a very it. flowy circuit, basically rewards Red Bull's car. Yeah, <laughs> basically. And uh, Netherlands, I think, just home power is going to help help Red Bull and Max again. And then and next then is Italy. Italy, Monza again. again. Fastest Temple track. Of speed is again. You know, all straights. Singapore is probably the one where I can see a Ferrari maybe winning, possibly. And but then you can't discount Mercedes again, basically, because they've just demonstrated on high downforce circuits. You cannot discount Mercedes. Like, can we just talk about that last stint where Mercedes, where, where Hamilton, Hamilton was lapping a second faster than Science on the same tire, basically same, you know, tire age. Like Science and Hamilton went on to the softs about the same time. I think Hamilton's were three or four laps newer. Yeah. And then Hamilton was a consistently a second faster. And then the Ferrari was greening its tires basically within half a dozen laps. Lewis was on hammer time. as This was the classic Lewis that we've always seen, right? And I, I think that stint demonstrated to me in a lot of ways, I think Mercedes might have made a car that's outright slower in a lot of circumstances. But in stints where, you know, the fuel load has kind of gone down, on tire degradation alone, I think the Mercedes is by far the most superior car on the grid, which has allowed Hamilton and Russell to pull off some amazing, I think, feats, um, even with the pace deficit that they have to the two front runners. And the fact that they're only 30 points behind Ferrari. Ferrari, I think Ferrari would be lucky at this point because we've only been talking about Red Bull and, and Ferrari so far. I think given the form that Mercedes is in, and the fact that all of their staff now say we understand the car a lot better and now we'll be able to bring in like genuine performance upgrades to, to the W13. I think Ferrari would be lucky to get away with the P2 and the constructors. I I'm, I'm, wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton and Russell are challenging for wins by the time we come back next month. Oh yeah, 100%. I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting that because they were so close this time. They were so close in Great Britain as so well. So the most likely outcome of this season, it seems to me, is going to be a very easy, almost... You know, written in the cards, Verstappen, you know, championship win. And then kind of a close battle between Ferrari and Mercedes for the second spot in the constructors. 
but then I think we've seen Ferrari and Mercedes go up against one another, and in that, you know, battle basically, and Mercedes we haven't talked about it. the fact that right Sergio hasn't been on a good uh, run for the past two races, probably maybe three even. Yeah, but uh, he's still there, and I think those tracks he's there just enough, right, for that deficit not to widen against Ferrari. So I think what is it now? Almost a you know 103 point lead they have in the constructors rankings i don't see that thinning at no. any point during constructors i'm 100 sure they're not gonna win oh yeah no one's gonna beat red bull in that basically it's where the driver's standing because i can see leclerc not getting p2 leclerc, yeah i could see it happening because 178 173 158 156 146 that's leclerc if, to lewis Hamilton. like from p2 to p6 in the rankings you have a 32 point difference we've seen how one bad weekend for one team can basically upend that those you know that point deficit by a lot. I believe Lewis had a point deficit of thirty six points at the Austrian Grand Prix last yeah. year, and at the end of the season he was up there to fight for the championship. He's going to win, Golden. and that's just one b one, right? Like here we're and I think at the same time we don't talk about this enough, but I've come to you know see this as this is an ironclad opinion of mine that. Both, you know, Mercedes has the strongest driver pairing on the grid right now. Ooh, that's undoubtedly. I can't think of anyone else who can beat that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Perez is far off the pace on far too many occasions for Red Bull. I think to be look, in the mix. If you look at Perez's early stint up until like Canada yeah. or even uh, the UK, uh, he was really good. It's been recent form. Yeah, he's not been up there at all. Yeah. And the fact that Russell's getting pole positions and the fact that Lewis is making up places like like no one's business as usual. Yeah. And the fact that they're capitalizing on everyone's mistakes. Whoever makes a mistake, Mercedes is there. Okay, we're going to capitalize. To on. take their lunch money away, basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which they've been doing with Ferrari for years. So, I, I again, you know, Ferrari would be lucky to get away with P2 in this constructors. That's so grim for Ferrari fans, man. I feel really bad for them. And, I mean, compare that to the optimism at the start of the season. And it's just, oh, this is one of the... I mean, that saddest stories optimism is there every single year man every at the end of the season we're hearing Ferrari have a really good car next year it seems yeah. the pundits are all saying Ferrari's going to be there this time Ferrari's going to be there this time and despite being I mean the pace is still there the Ferrari is still the fastest car in race pace terms relative to the rest of the field and you know 103 points adrift in the constructors Nah, man, I, I'm uh, I I feel bad. And I, so I mean, the last time I was here, we talked a lot about strategy, strategy. You know how it's strategic blunders that are losing Ferrari this championship. And at this point, I think there's not one thing you can point to. I think you know the the symptoms run far deeper. Their driver makes errors. You know the team isn't up there in terms of managing their two drivers. Like Silverstone is one of those rare instances where Ferrari, I think, would have lost the win had it not been for that last you know late safety car. Yeah, and if Carlos Sainz their failure to prioritize one driver over the other, just yeah, and if Carlos Sainz didn't defy their orders, they would have he, lost. He would have lost. Yeah, no way. No, there's no way that uh, Leclerc would have won that at all. That probably wouldn't have been a victory for Perez or Hamilton at that point. Basically, yeah. It's, I mean, like uh, we can go on forever. <laughs> I mean, we're basically writing Ferrari's obituary for this season. <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, I'd love to be proven wrong on this. Yeah, seriously, I, I would genuinely love to be proven wrong on this, but I don't think. There's not um, enough races left. Yeah. It's nine races. So we're in, this is the 13th round. Nine rounds left. What is Ferrari going to do? I don't see Verstappen <sighs> making this many mistakes ever. I don't think Verstappen's going to make any mistakes. I mean... It's going to be a DNF mechanical issue at best. At best. But or that's going to be like one, maybe two. 
Or maybe they send Carlos Sainz on a torpedo mission. <laughs> like, just take him out every single race. No, which is why I, I, I think it's the Constructors is pretty much done and dusted. No, Constructors is definitely done. I, and I, I think, I, you know, the next time I come back here, I could probably, you know, say the exact same thing about the drivers. I mean, I'm a little cautious about making that proclamation right now, but I'm pretty certain by the time, you know, after Zandvoort or Monza, I think it... Dude, if it wraps up at like Italy, <laughs> that's gonna that, be painful. That, like that is the worst thing I that think could happen. Mechan- like mathematically, I think Verstappen like, could have this wrapped up by Austin. Mathematically speaking, I think. I mean, if Leclerc doesn't have DNF, if has if he has DNF three rows, three in a row, that could happen as well. Yeah, uh, he could just finish it at <laughs> Singapore. He could be crown champion. Uh, so that's gonna be painful. Yeah, because there's nothing they can do to stop Verstappen in that sense. And that's not one thing they have to do to get back in the game, right? It's a, like it's multiple failures across multiple points in the Ferrari machine. And they've got a possible Mexican stopping them sometimes as well. Yeah. Who's not going to let them go. Like he's, he's also there to prove something. I think this is, you know, this should be a lesson for the Ferrari team. <laughs> you can't, you can't go up against it. I mean, this isn't the late 90s, early 2000s anymore. Like, you know, even when you have a driver who outperforms his car on you know many an occasion yeah even then you can't count on uh, just that and a fast car to get you through they've gone through this multiple times 2008 massa 2010 and 12 alonso yeah uh, vettel for 2017 18 as well find those on driver errors there as well but even then right the team wasn't giving him stuff I th- it's so i mean we've we've been talking a lot about this race in ferrari's obituary so to speak but yeah. on the eve you know i mean Sebastian Vettel's announced that he's retiring, one of the all-time greats in the sport. Yeah, I felt And sad. I think for, you know, for the longest time after he left Ferrari, many words were said about how Ferrari bungled 2017 and 18 for Ferrari. The Tifosi, I think, were very outspoken about how this would herald a new dawn under Leclerc's leadership <laughs> for Ferrari's championship fortunes. Yeah. And I think we're basically seeing history repeat itself, exonerating Vettel in that process that even though he made mistakes, the vast majority of the failures can be chalked up to the team basically not providing him with the resources, the support, and in some cases the car to champ to challenge for those championships no, definitely. against Mercedes of that era. I mean, Mercedes is fairly pretty much the same team at today as it was then and you've seen how they are they're mechanical they're surgical they don't make mistakes you know they're basically mercedes fires on all of its cylinders all of the time exactly and that's what i'm always saying like that you find vettel made mistakes in the 2018 season but if you look at vettel he came back in spa and he took back the championship lead yeah straight away so afterwards what happened all right he spun one or two times cool but there was also mechanical problems. They didn't. They didn't. Ha- they didn't develop the car enough for yeah. him to in win the championship. In the 18th season, especially, like right after the summer break, the they, car basically just froze. Yeah, I mean, remember like the U.S. Grand Prix in the qualifying as well. He was like, "How are we so far off already?" Yeah, they just demolished them, and that's what I feel like Mercedes are going to do again. They're just going to. This is going to be a. This won't be a fight for a Red Bull. This is going to be a fight between Ferrari Mercedes and Mercedes and Ferrari again. at the end, and we're going to see Mercedes basically overtake Ferrari. You know, like again, like you were saying, I wouldn't be surprised, and I apologize to all the Tifosi out there. I wouldn't be surprised to see Leclerc signs, you know, 
below not in in not in the top three of the drivers rankings yeah because listen you got Sergio Perez I keep saying that and then got the Lewis Hamilton and George Russell yeah like it's just done and dusted it feels it sucks man because this is a summer break we don't have a lot of races to watch this month <laughs> up until uh uh Spa Francochamps but like it's ah man we've talked about like 30 minutes about just how Ferrari is just bad <laughs> uh, I mean the rest of the race was good as well it was a good yeah, race to watch it was a good race I mean was exciting for you know the reasons that f1 race should be exciting because it was a lot of strategy there weren't any collisions or... we almost had all cars finish almost yeah just until Bottas had an engine failure at the end uh, which again who supplies alfa romeo's engines Omar? ferrari oh <laughs> yeah again i was gonna make that point too they have and that I, issue I was, as well. <laughs> when you asked me to you know have rankings for all of the drivers coming into today's episodes one of the things that i was thinking about was joe guan yu and, you know, I've been impressed a number of times by how he's been driving this season. Mm-hmm. But he's at three DNFs, all of which Correct. are, again, mechanical. None of us are fault. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, three, he had four DNFs, actually. Three were mechanical. One was a crash, of course. Yeah, okay. So, again, not his fault. That crash was definitely not his fault as well. Basically. So, and the fact that Bottas' uh, uh, retirements are all also mechanical. Oof. And I believe Mick Schumacher has had mechanical problems Quite a as well. few of them. Magnuson, Magnuson has, has had retirements. So That's the, all the Ferrari-powered engines that are on the track. So we can't even discount Sainz and Leclerc taking multiple penalties in the races to come. They got lucky this time. But, so they're, I mean, I think they're already at the end of their quota for allowable components. So any new ones they take will come with grid penalties. I mean, Sainz already took the new one. So like, and that's what's... And Leclerc took one at Canada. He might have to take another sometime. I mean, Red Bull did take new engine parts this time, but they got away without any penalties. Because I mean, again, like they don't have the same issues. Yeah. But the rest of the race, I think I, I there's some standout performances as well. Uh, I think Lando Norris. Yeah, I think I, Lando Norris is... Uh, again, best of the rest. Best of the rest, undoubtedly. Uh, which I think also speaks volumes about how far Ricardo is. I, uh, when Ricardo made that move on the in, I was on the inside on the Alpines and the Alp- I was like, oh my god, old school Ricardo, let's go! Oh, never mind. He and wasn't able to make it stick. Yeah. <laughs> no, he got the he got he got the overtake. He then crashed into Stroll. <laughs> he got the time penalty. He had the issue with Ocon as well. Um, man, dude, Ricardo, I don't know, man. I just don't get it. And also the fact that this news about him leaving the team not leaving the team and then him putting an instagram story i'm here to stay i want to do this properly i'm just like dude like i love him i think it might be one of those we could end up seeing one of those unfortunate situations where he wants to stick around but mclaren's just like yeah we're at the end of our patience with how you've been doing yeah mclaren might bite the bullet and just fire him and just pay the cypher's back package basically just give him like here you go go away dude we don't need you and, and because I, as someone who loved Ricardo in the 2014 season, I would hate for him to leave the sport on that note. It's awful. I'd be gut wrenching. It's because it, it's it's a bad mark on his legacy, right? Yeah. Fine. He 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 would have been one of those ones. I think he can still be listed as one of the drivers best who couldn't win the championship. Maybe at, if he didn't. if you look at the earlier parts of his career, yeah, yeah. that's what I was gonna say. But this recent performances has just, just been. Because it's one thing to be even worse. at Renault, you remember like when the car was performing, he was c- constantly able, I think, to outperform the car's performance and deliver some great results, podiums as well. Yeah, and I don't think he's 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 managed to find his feet at McLaren. Like not even once, I think, save for Monza twenty twenty one. You know, kudos to him, kudos to Max for taking Lewis out <laughs> that race. I, I stand by that. Um, <laughs> 
but <laughs> i agree with you by the way except for that one weekend like off the top of my head i don't remember any weekend where i've been like yeah Matt, you know daniel's back in the mix you, okay uh, guess what's his highest finishes this season uh i have it open don't worry you can guess though maybe p7 p6 p6 the other point finishes he has he has three other point finishes eight nine nine he finished 15th this time he is just a smudge ahead of pierre gasly and sebastian vettel who have terrible cars this season we should probably also talk about pierre gasly pierre gasly and ricardo are my worst worst performers of this season by a margin yeah by like a, a, a nautical mile we will give yeah. the ratings at the end we'll get to there we won't talk about too much about it because i we're getting into that situation right now but like going back to the race and like alpine uh doing that weird hard tire thing but they stuck to their plan right and they yeah, still and got I the points the hard tire did come to them towards the end but you know it was fairly obvious that in those conditions the hard tire was just not a very good race tire yeah and then i also good performance by vettel as well i have to say uh the yeah. fact that he was able to get that one point i mean that's the most that aston martin can get at this point yeah yeah which is weird because last year he was fighting for the <laughs> for the race for the for the, for the race, race win, win. yeah <laughs> I mean, um, a huge fall off. I don't know what happened to Aston Martin. I don't know why Fernando's going there. Uh, but I think we can just go into that conversation because that's pretty much the race. Yeah. Uh, it was a top six battle. I think we're getting closer to that situation where we might see three cars fighting each other for the race battle wins. Each. In the latter half of the season, I think that's going to make some of the races to come a lot more exciting. I cannot wait for probably Italy and Belgium. I think those are the places where we can see all these three cars going after each other. I mean, I've always been a fan of the last five circuits on the calendar, right? You like, like Abu Dhabi? Abu Dhabi, I think, can produce some sensational, you know, season closers. As in, like, imagery-wise? Because it looks nice. I don't know if it gives racing-wise. Uh, racing-wise, I think after the changes they've, they made last year, I, I think, like, it's not as boring as it used to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously... Especially it, with that Sector 3 change, you know, with the... They had those perpendicular corners at the end, which yeah. were tire killers. Like, uh, I think Abu Dhabi might, just, and you know, it's always been interesting to see how Abu Dhabi plays out because it takes a certain kind of uh, driver skill to navigate, you know, the, just a tire dag at Abu Dhabi because oh, you yeah. never know whether it's going to be a one stop or two stop race, and safety cars just mix it up. Yeah, I mean, the last sector is brutal. It's a uh, fast stop, fast yeah, stop. It's just like basically. it's br- really brutal. Uh, uh, last five races basically is Japan, obviously everyone's favorite track. USA, I think that's a really good track. I it's think it's an underrated track. Circuit of the Americas definitely underrated because there's a lot of overtaking opportunities. Strategy and tire deck plays a huge, huge part because how hot or cold it is in Austin that day basically determines what the race is going to be like. And all three sectors are so different from each other. Yeah, basically. Sector one is like this, it got these Senna S's basically in the yeah. start. You got that uphill, you got down, you got elevation in this, which you don't get a lot of tracks as well. Yeah. Uh, I think Hungaroring is also an underrated track, by the way. I think we always get good races here. Oh, pe- 100%. Pe- I've been I've been such a huge fan of the, despite what people say about how, you know. It's hard to overtake. Yeah, I, I think it always produces an incredible race, no matter what's going on every season you look at yeah it's also where like people got their first wins and that's where you see drivers who can outperform their car ricardo alonso first victories even if you look at f2 f3 this time you got first time victors as well because the car differential is limited here then yeah so i mean japan usa mexico i love the mexican track. i i think mexico is also an underrated track very underrated definitely uh my favorite track is of course brazil though oh 100 i think that's the best track in f1 ever i i think <sighs> Pretty gets pretty close, I think. Which one's your favorite? Spa. Spa. Yeah. All right, that's a classic. So story. I'm a little heartbroken by the fact that Spa might not be on the calendar next year. 
I'm heartbroken by a lot of things <laughs> in the calendar of what they're doing. I don't want three U.S. U.S. races. Race. Yeah, no. I hated Miami. Miami was horrible this year. It was a parking lot race. I I just don't understand, especially with those tight chickens towards the end of sector two. I don't know what they were doing there. And TV direction has never been as bad as, as bad as, as it track. was in Miami. Yeah, it was awful. That tra- that race was awful. That track is awful. That place. I hope we yeah. never go to Miami again. But they have a ten-year contract. <laughs> it's gonna be there for a decade if they do have that contact i i I would seriously hope that they change the track layout oh entirely man and if if they can make it one of those tracks that's different every year maybe there's something to look forward to there but as a race miami was absolutely that's an interesting concept to change the track every year because it is in a parking lot i mean (laughs) yeah there's a fake like um marina Marina with no water just (laughs) exactly Uh, that's an awful track and we're getting vegas next year as well so, I mean, like, what happened to Vietnam, by the way? I was so excited about that one. Vietnam, South Korea is an amazing track. Oh, my God, the South Turkey should never be off the calendar. I think Turkey always produces an amazing race. You just remind me of my second favorite track, probably. Yeah. Turkey's probably my second favorite track. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, your good point. Like, five, I, I wouldn't say Abu Dhabi is one of my favorites. I've always been very negative about it being the last race yeah. of the season. I, I, I miss the times when Brazil was the last, you know, race on this, uh, of, of the season. Always, again, you know, all of the thrill of the last race coupled with a track that, you know, has produced some amazing, amazing victories. Historic as well. Yeah. Very historic. I mean, like, if you think what's the greatest uh, last race we've ever had of the championship, 2008. Yeah. And that was in Brazil. Uh, and the last chicane. <laughs> Someone won the championship. Basically. It doesn't get more tight than that. But, yeah, I mean, uh, man. The calendar, I'm, I'm a bit worried next year what they're going to do. I mean, and the fact that after the summer break, we have a triple header. Oof. So, yes, yeah, so we got Belgium, Netherlands, Italy all in a row. What are your thoughts on Zandvoort? I, I, I can never get myself to be fully, you know, on board with Zandvoort's addition to the calendar. Because I think, I think the current generations of cars has outgrown Zandvoort's layout. Especially Sector 1 and 2. I, I, I don't think it provides the same level of overtaking opportunity. Yeah, I mean, the banking looks cool, but, but it's but that's it's, it. it's so narrow. I think you can make the same, you know, argument for why Hungary is a bad track. But then Sector 1 and, you know, the kind of long straights there facilitate the kind of overtaking that I think makes for interesting races. I don't think Zandvoort has any of those opportunities. Zandvoort, I, I, I don't like it pretty much. I don't even remember what the track looks like, if I'm honest, because that race was not very good. So that's yeah. a very un, not memorable race at all. The only reason they have it, of course, is because it's they got because, Max Verstappen. Yeah. There is a There are better tracks in Netherlands. We know that MotoGP has a really good one as well. That's, mm-hmm. that's always the best track to race there as well. Uh, it produces amazing racing there, but it's MotoGP, so it's a bit tight. So I'm not sure if Nef1 car can go there. I mean, I would... <sighs> I remember in the, in 21, they had uh, Losel in Qatar, which is a great MotoGP track. And, you know, everyone was commenting how it was going to be really difficult for F1 cars there. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most, ex, you know, not exciting race races of the season, but still, you know, still good. Good I mean, enough. You've got right? a long yeah. podium there as well. Yeah. You got like, you got some shakeups there. Uh, that's a much better track. The thing of the, the MotoGP uh, track in uh, Netherlands is much more narrow at the last sector. It's yeah. like just for bikes almost. It, uh, you see bikes cutting through the chicane there. So I don't know if an F1 car could go there. But either way, I just, they need a better track in Netherlands because yeah. uh, this kid, Max Verstappen, is going to be there for a while. Oh, he's going to be, he's going to hang around for quite a while. I he's think. got, uh, at best, if he retires at Seb's age, he's got a good 11 years left. <laughs> so there's quite a few years of Max Verstappen. Exactly. So they can definitely make a better track there. But I like that we talked about the tracks as well because there's a there's a stat that I didn't even know existed that Lewis Hamilton broke this time. Oh yeah, uh, 
most laps led at one track at a single venue and it was held by uh who was it and i, I don't, don't remember, remember the, the name of the driver but it was an indy 500 uh Record, record right that's back when indy 500 was part of the f1 championship right so the fact is indy 500 has 200 laps so this is far more impressive if i'm honest yeah. <laughs> because indy 500 is much more easier to lead multiple laps in one go uh either way it's a, an incredible feat to achieve 483 i think that was a record by that uh driver but now lewis has broke it at one of the shortest tracks ever yeah <laughs> like it's insane uh hungry is his hunting ground he's gone in so many podiums there as well most podiums at a track as well i think maybe possibly uh maybe i'm uh, not sure about that but, but like uh, either way he, it's his it's his hometown in that way there's so yeah. much british support there as well uh yeah. they're all they're cheering for mercedes no throughout. it's uh you know i i on social media a lot of people you know use like lord of the rings metaphors to refer uh to lewis and the hungaro ring because he's won there so many times and yeah. He just seems like in his element at that track, no matter, you know, what year it is. In 2013, that first year at Mercedes was the first time he he won in a Mercedes car. It's quite the favorite of a lot of championship drivers. Championship think, winners, yeah. Yeah, if you think about uh, Michael, uh, Alonso, even uh, Vettel's had a good time there as well. Like, uh, it's a favorite of a championship drivers because I think it's always limiting the car's effect and the driver's effect more. Yeah. So I think that's probably why championship, dri- championship winning drivers are so cool good to watch there as well i think we can move on uh because i mean the race wise there's not much else to talk about the midfield battle we've covered the rest of them out of the points um what was it like haas were nowhere unfortunately alpha i have no idea what's going on with that I'd, worst uh, team probably uh, i say worst the, performance drop off i i mean that's why last I'm year alpha tower was a team to look out for in the midfield and this year it just seems like Awful, awful. You're just looking at them being 15, 16, 17. Yuki had a weird spin. It's yeah. it's it's really weird to look at, uh, watch them drive right now at the moment. But um, let's move on to the fact that there's two big stories that came out on F1. I'm glad we did this a day after because we would have known this. We would have missed this news. Uh, it's massive news. First of all, I'm a huge Vettel fan, so I almost like had tears when I was watching that video, which looked like a perfume commercial ad at one point. Because uh, even someone made an edit of it. It's really funny. You should <laughs> definitely watch it. It's made by the reserve drivers. But um, Vettel is leaving the sport, unfortunately. It's sad because he's still pretty young. He's not that old. He's not that old. He's younger he looks than... It. He looks it because of how he's keeping his hair these days, but <laughs> he's not that old. I mean, he's got a young face, so he doesn't even look that old yeah. as well. So it's a sad day for me personally. I don't I like agree. to... I it's, agree. It's a loss to the sport a lot, and not just on the track, but off the track recently as well. Uh, he's been a standout role model for a lot of people, even more than Lewis. Lewis is usually the role model in this sense, you know, yeah. with the environmental stuff, with his veganism as well, and everything like that. But um, Sebastian has really proven to people that he is one of the greats. He's one of the special personalities as well. He's always interesting to look, look in interviews. I'm going to cry probably at this point. I'm saying so much nice things about him. No, but- I mean, I've I've seen so many anecdotes where people have come forth and said, you know, how Vettel's gone out of his way to be a good human being. It's that- just fans he's met on and off the track. Uh, you know, it's uh, it makes it's, me sad as well because yeah. you and I have not been to an F1 race yet. Inshallah, we will. We will, uh, but uh, not with Sebastian Vettel on the grid, yeah, unfortunately. I hope he's there somehow, maybe like uh, mentoring Mick <laughs> as usual. Hopefully, uh, I, I hope he continues his involvement with the sport because I think he's been an overwhelmingly positive influence, especially uh, after his Red Bull years. And I mean, his Red Bull years were were when he was hated, massive, right? 
in terms of his success, but also in terms of the hate yeah, he got. Like, like he the, we had a villain Seb era basically in F1 with that nine win streak in 2013. Multi 21 in it the start just, of the year of that uh, yeah. same season as well. He was made to be everyone's hated driver. And even like Alonzo Lewis were bad talking him as well. I mean, that's classic championship talk, right? Yeah, between, but, but even then, like everyone was on his bad side. No one, nobody liked him. It felt like that way. Even though he was the most popular driver, he was winning every race. He was winning championships like no other. It's insane the fact that, he, and that's also something I like to look at the fact that he went from this guy who was hated. In 2014, people were like, oh, we're so happy he's losing. Ricardo's beating the crap out of, out of him. Yeah. And then and he went to Ferrari and basically everyone wanted him. I think there was a lot of hope because he'd had such an immense run of success in his Red Bull years. I think people wanted him to replicate some of that at Ferrari. To kind of, you know, rekindle that Schumacher Ferrari legend. Uh, and I think he wanted that too. Obviously, that's very well and, known. And yes. the Ferrari of the 21st century, I think, as we've discussed at length here, is uh, kind of not the team you want to be at if you want to be very, very successful. That, that's the point I want to make as well. Like, I feel like if I was a driver in F1, I wish I was. <laughs> but like, I, I would never go to Ferrari. I, never go I, to Ferrari. I would never drive for Ferrari. I'd be like, hey, Mercedes, Red Bull, do you guys want me or something, please? I would not want to be at Ferrari anymore. Ferrari is yeah. not the team you want to go to anymore. It just doesn't feel like a team that is competent, that can do anything for you. And it's seen by since 2008. Yeah. Since Singapore, when that fuel pump got stuck in Massa, it's all gone downhill. <laughs> Nothing's good happened since then. Uh, because that's basically where he lost the championship as well. Even in Hungary, uh, Massa had an engine failure. So it goes all the way back to 2008. All the way back to that year, yeah. I mean, I was like 10 years old. <laughs> like that's how... and, I, and I think, I mean... A lot of people don't talk talk about this often enough because uh, Leclerc did outperform Vettel in the 2019 season. Yeah. But I think the way Ferrari kind of orchestrated Sebastian's exit from the team was also massively disrespectful to the guy, uh, you know, to the driver that he is. He is, if I'm in not, you know, if I'm not wrong here, I think he's the third most successful driver for Ferrari after... He is uh, the third most successful driver in F1 anyway. Yeah, but for Ferrari also, like <laughs> yeah. he's the third most successful driver ever. I mean, look at how and they... For a stint that lasted, what, four or five years? That's still amazing. It's incredible the fact that he beat Alan Prost's record yeah. during his time at Ferrari. Yeah. The fact that he got podiums with Aston Martin, he's not a bad driver. This is what I'm happy, at least he's ending off on a slightly good note that people are recognizing his talent. You cannot win four championships on the trot, especially, without, without being, being a world-class yeah. driver. It takes a lot of skill to do that. And to beat guys like Fernando, Lewis, Lewis. Jensen Button, Mark Webber, the name list goes on. Yeah. I mean... Uh, <laughs> and I mean, we remember the 2010 and 12 seasons. Those were incredibly competitive seasons. I think one of those seasons, there were six different race winners the first six races. Yeah, that's 2012. Yeah. So t- 2010 and 2012 is probably one of the best seasons of all time, both yeah. of them. Because you had And then six... 2013 was such an was was such a class in, you know, domination. On what on what domination looks like. I mean, uh, we talked about good tracks. India was a really good track. Yeah. I mean, Diego Bob was on that track. Was, I thought that was a really it was a good smoggy race. Yeah, but, sm- you know. very smoggy. Yeah, I mean, we can't complain, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we? We're in Lahore. Uh, but it was such a good track and that's uh his kingdom. He's won every race at India. At India ever. There's yeah. three races and even that fantastic image of him like, you know, Bowing down to his Adrian Newey car uh, is from India as well. Yeah. I mean, like Seb's had an incredible career and I'm happy that he's going on a path that he wants to go on, right? Yeah. It's not an exit where he's just like, you know, Ricardo in that sense, which I'm very worried about. 
Like we talked about the Ricardo. Yeah, might be I, getting I don't, a bad I don't think he's going on a away bad. at a time when, you know, his performance kind of has fallen off a cliff. It hasn't. But I do think he's gotten quite a lot of unfair criticism, including from me at times, I believe. I uh, agree for, with that. <laughs> for, for mistakes he's made on track. And I think, uh, you know, part of why that's happened is because... Leclerc. <laughs> I mean, because of Leclerc and because of the immense run of success that he had, you'd never expected Sebastian mm. to make those mistakes. But despite those mistakes, he has still been an incredibly competent driver. He uh, still took the fight to Lewis. Yeah. Lewis, I mean, listen, like people talk a lot of crap about Lewis as well. But Lewis doesn't just openly appreciate others. That yeah. is something he's very closed off. He doesn't talk about other drivers at all. And he, you know, he's, he's incredibly fond of Sebastian as, as a driver, as a friend. He says that he's his hardest uh, rival he's ever faced. Sorry, yeah. Nico Rosberg. <laughs> uh, but like, that's, that's what he says about him as well. And that's a lot to say coming from a seven-time world champion. Yeah. So let's not take it lightly. But then there's another bombshell that happened because my favorite driver was like, I'll take that seat. Fernando Alonso is joining uh, Aston Martin. Martin. F1 Racing, Connorstar, whatever that company Cognizant. is. Cognizant. whatever. That's a, I don't know what that company is. They make beer? Probably mineral water. I don't like, know. I don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> it's like anything. BWT, whatever. Same thing, right? Uh, but like, what? <laughs> Why, Fernando? Why? I think. So I have a hypothesis here. Uh, and if you look off track, I think Lawrence Stroll's been making immense investments, particularly in the new facilities that Aston Martin uh, has in the pipeline, which won't be online for another year or two, I believe. 2024 is the first year. Um, Yikes. I'm uh, riffing off the top of my head. I'm not sure exactly when. But I think Aston Martin and, you know, it's an awkward decision because Alonso, I think, might be overstating his longevity in the sport. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I do think in terms of the investments being made into future success, I think Aston Martin's kind of up there. Listen, I love Fernando. Fernando is my favorite driver of all time. I squeal it's when a he's Sly Fox, that guy on track. Uh, even now, like even yeah. like Ocon was about to like ram him off the like the, the earth this time on the start. Uh, but like, dude, he's an incredible driver. I understand why they're taking him. I don't understand why he's taking it though, because like I understand Alpine is so much faster right now. Aston Martin are dog right now. Like yeah, they're in the dog. bottom two. They're in the bottom two. They're unquestionably. Uh, they have Sebastian Vettel who's pulling out the results for them. So yeah, Alonso could do the same because he's of the higher caliber driver, just like Vettel. But but I think it is a bet. I think it's a bet that the investments that Daddy Stroll's making <laughs> off the track are going to pay off in some way or form into competitive success in the years to come. And I think the biggest reason for why, uh, and this is me, you know, scrolling through social media trying to figure out if there was any credible reasons for why he'd make the switch. Turns out is that uh, the Alpine CEO hmm. was not willing to to offer him uh, a deal longer than a year. Yeah, this is which would make sense, right? Because yeah. I think he got the sense that perhaps he was being treated as a seat warmer for Oscar Priastri by the time he wants to step up into that seat. And I don't think Alonso liked that very much. Yeah, Alonso's very open about criticizing when he doesn't like things going his way, right? Yeah. When he believes he's being disrespected. And I understand why he did that. So, like, he took a multi-contract deal with Aston Martin. But he's not got many years left, man. He's, I mean, Nigel Mansell is the oldest driver to ever win a world championship, right? Yeah. And I believe that was 42 years 42 old. 42 or 43, yes. yeah. So, like, Alonso's 41 right now. In fact, it was his birthday at <laughs> this, uh, this track. So, I don't know, man. Like, it's a big bet. Because the thing, that I, I feel like when you're, an Ast- when you're joining a team like Aston Martin, you're going to have to understand this is five years in the making, possibly even 10. Yeah, I think five's a good estimate. But I, again, as you say, I don't think Alonso's going to be 
around for five. I think I'd be surprised if Lewis does another five years. Because like in my head, I'm expecting him to last maybe, maybe till 2025. I mean, we don't even know if he's coming back next year <laughs> yet. He has a deal for... He has a deal. Okay, yeah. But like there's some rumors as well, like he might want to retire or something yeah. like that. There's stuff like that as well. But even then, like it's it's weird because for us, like that's the old guard, right? That's yeah, that we were we're old now. I guess. I mean, I grew up watching Alonso <laughs> These three Vettel guys. and yeah, and and Lewis, right? Like, this is what F one meant us for the better part of a decade. Yeah, I was. We were very young during Michael Schumacher's era. Yeah, we did watch the uh, the end of it. Uh, but like these are the guys who we grew up watching. Even Paris was there, if you think about it. <laughs> like Paris has been there a while, man. Uh, but man, I it, it's weird that he's taking this up. But I understand. In the end, he just wants to drive. He's got that hunger. In Can him. we just say on the off note, you know, Lawrence Stroll uh, has made sure his son's getting some incredible mentorship, you know, to have <laughs> driven against Sebastian Vettel and now Fernando Alonso on the same team. That's amazing for... Uh, yeah, I for, wish they would realize he's not good enough because <laughs> he's getting... He's, I, I've he's, often defended Lance Stroll, not because... Uh, of the undue criticism that he's gotten for being, you know, daddy's boy and a pay driver, mm -hmm. which I think is fair criticism. But at the same time, I do think he's a competent driver. I've seen some of his stuff from F3. Oh, no, you know, he was he, a world champion in yeah. F3. He won that fair. He, was, he, he was, was great during that time. I always say, listen, Stroll, I, I agree with you. The fact that Lawrence is quite competent. Uh, Lawrence, no, Lance. Lance. <laughs> Lawrence is pretty competent. He's a billionaire. <laughs> he's done his journey. He's, uh, he's... I think he's one of the craftier people behind the scenes in the paddock. Yeah, he's a businessman. He knows how to run stuff. He's he's made some incredible deals that I don't think anyone else would have been able to pull off. Oh, definitely. I mean, the stuff he did with uh, Racing Point as well was incredible yeah. in terms of uh, business terms. But what I'm thinking about is like Lance Stroll, fine, yes, but he's had way too much time to prove himself. And I don't think... Dude, he's not going away. It's dad's team. He's <laughs> not going away. He's going to have even more time to prove it and he's not going to do it. I don't see him ever winning a championship. I maybe a race win possibly because he's going to be if here for if he gets lucky yeah, yeah but that's about the extent of it right I mean he was about to win in Turkey if all things went well yeah um, but again Paris proved like you know I'm better <laughs> uh, but although there was a pit stop issue there of course yeah. but even then I just don't see the point I, I feel like someone at the team should be like hey man I know he's your son but like come on <laughs> there's like so many better drivers but I think we need to understand that's the reason Lawrence Stroll's putting all this money into this team yeah, he wants to see his son point. vie for the championship at some point, hmm. which, you know, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we don't have kids. <laughs> we don't, we don't have kids. So we don't know what that feels like. You obviously want to see your kids do well. I guess that's understandable, but it's coming at a cost at a seat of a lot of other drivers. One being Oscar Piastri, yeah. who might be joining Alpine now because with Alonso going to Aston Martin next year on a yeah. multi-contract deal, silly season has ensued as it always does over the summer right before the summer break as so i think the one person we probably need to talk about is ricardo ricardo because uh there's a good chance that mclaren wants him gone and is as you said might be willing to pay the severance package uh to have someone they like better in that seat they got two american drivers they like from indy one is a champion uh, champion uh champion winner there as well but again uh Hey, this is Umar Fassi talking from the editing room, also known as my bedroom. Uh, unfortunately, as you can see on screen, the lights went out and we did record with our Dynamics that don't need power. But as I could not monitor the audio levels or anything whilst recording with dynamic mics, uh, the audio kind of ended up being really bad and basically unusable. If you're wondering how it sounded, here's a clip. Doesn't want you to or isn't helping you in getting there? 
And I think in those instances, except for maybe Silverstone. So yeah, as you can tell, I'm not going to torture you beautiful viewers with that bad audio. However, it's a bit of a shame because we did rank every single driver from Max Verstappen all the way down to Nicholas Gotifi. We'll make up with it. Hopefully we can do a podcast during the summer break on the same topic. Just a dedicated podcast on that with Hamza. Regardless, we're going to have lots of other podcasts coming up anyway during the summer break. But unfortunately, we're going to have to end off on an abrupt note this time. And I would like to just thank you for always tuning in, staying till the end. If you did, that's amazing. Uh, consider hitting the like button, the subscribe button. Maybe don't skip the ad so we can buy a UPS for the studio. I don't know if that's possible. Please do that. Thank you very much. But anyway, I will see you next time when the Checker Flag drops in Spa Focus Shop.